Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Good day. Welcome to New Books in Military History. I am Boris Karpa, and with us today is Professor J. Michael Reifenberg of the University of North Georgia, and he is here with a unique book. Most of our books are by either veterans or military historians, but uh, Professor Reifenberg has written a book on a different topic. It is called Drill to Write, Becoming a Cadet Writer at, at a Senior Military College. And we, in this book, Professor Reifenberg explores uh, some of the ways in which the U.S. military, the U.S. Army in particular, teaches people writing skills. I'm very happy to have you here uh, with us today, uh, Professor Reifenberg. Thank you for um, having me. I look forward to our conversation. Now... We always have, and we are creatures of tradition on this, on the, on this show, much like the people of the village of Anatevka. We keep our balance through tradition, and we have a traditional question, which I know that you address to an extent in your book, but we are here to inform readers about your book, and so I would like to ask. It's a it's a very unusual topic in my mind. It's it's unusual for me as a military historian. I know that people in the literature world are somewhat mm, strangers to things military, and so it's a strange way to I think to uh, breach these worlds and so to bridge these worlds. And so I would like to know how you have come to choose this particular topic. Sure. Um, I gravitate bores towards learning more about the people that make up the space where I work. And so I used to work at a university that had a really prominent athletics program. So I designed a study to learn more about how these student athletes that play football, that play basketball within this athletics program, how they were taught writing and how they grew as writers. Now I'm at a U.S federally designated senior military college, the College of Uni- or the University of North Georgia, as you mentioned. We're in the southeastern part of the United States. As a senior military college, that means a population of the students at this university are preparing to be officers in the U.S. Army. There's about 19,000 total students, only a small portion, about 700 are cadets. But I spend a lot of time working with these cadets and helping them strengthen their writing skills. So spending time with these cadets, being at a senior military college, um, that in turn developed into a research question. And as somebody who teaches writing, as somebody who me like studies writing, I wanted to know, how do these future army officers that I'm spending time with in the classroom, how do they develop as writers during their four years of undergraduate education? So that's how this book became a book. Well, 
because this is a show about books, because it's hosted on as part of a larger family of shows about books, I'm quite sure many of our listeners, sometimes I call our listeners readers because of the subject of our show, some of them are also working on their own books, or perhaps they're not directly working on their own books, but they have you know, entertained uh, the idea that they might want to write a book in the future. So I always ask, I always ask anybody I have on this show to talk about their writing experience, to talk about, perhaps you could talk about uh, some of the difficulties which you faced while writing this book and uh, the, how you've eventually out- overcome these difficulties. Maybe there is something which potential writers in our audience can learn from you. I'd love to share. I, I really enjoy talking to people about writing books and what has worked for me, but also what hasn't worked for me. As I firmly believe that so much of writing comes down to persistence and simply getting words on the page or on the screen day after day after day. I started this book project in 2014. It's when I sent the initial emails asking permission to interview people. And the book was published in 2022. So for roughly eight years, I placed words on the screen. I edited words, deleted words. I did not generate brand new text every day. Some days I polished my chapter titles and rearranged phrases in the table of contents. Some days I sent emails to receive permissions for images I wanted to use. And some days I transcribed interviews and then wrote new prose. I also try to vary the places that I wrote, sometimes my kitchen, my office, outside, um, at a local park. So by changing up the task every day and changing up where I was doing that work really helped me push this project to the finish line. Um, And I'm I'm so grateful it found a home and it was published. And from the how, we are transitioning somewhat to the what because, you know, I'm a historian. I don't... I don't work with the technographies as much. It would be kind of difficult because I'm a 19th century historian. Most of the subjects are not available for interviews. And so, can you tell uh, can you tell the audience a, a little bit about the research methods which you use? As I understand, you've selected a single officer candidate, a single student, and you've um, followed their progress. Can you tell us about this methodology and how it worked? Sure. Um, I love talking about research methods. I love thinking about how do we collect data. If it's numerical data like statistics, if it's non-numerical data like interview transcripts or textual analysis of operation orders or classified memorandums that have finally um, been unclassified. So for this specific study, I'm working in the social sciences and I'm, I'm working with qualitative research. We can often think about research on a continuum, even more, either more quantitative, number driven, or more qualitative, more narrative and interview driven. I tend toward qualitative studies that provide really rich portraits of individuals engaging in writing tasks and learning how they get writing done for their workplace. When within qualitative research, I'd like to interview people when possible. I like to observe them writing when possible. And I like to collect documents that they wrote that are I have access to and they, they feel comfortable giving me. Um, so with this specific book, if we want to be very technical, it's a single bounded case study. 
And so a single bounded, it means I bounded this study by time and place. I looked at one person's writing development over the course of four years at one location. And with case study, case is kind of like the word issue. So the issue here is how, do, how does this cadet leverage the resources offered through his curriculum to learn the U.S. Army writing standard and the key Army genres he'll write when he commissions and becomes an officer in the U.S. Army? In other words, to be much more concise, how does this one cadet develop as a writer in college? I interviewed this cadet multiple times every semester. We, he came to my office. We spent a long time talking. I sat in his classes. I collected the writing from his classes. Um, and I'm making an argument about how he sees himself developing as a writer. I'm not making general claims about how all people develop as writers. I'm not making, I'm not making general claims that here's how army writers develop. So this is not generalizable but I do think it provides a really rich and important picture of how one cadet understands his writing development within the highly structured environment of the senior military college. Just to drill down a little bit on what you said, it reminds me of a, a technique, a method which we sometimes use in history, which is called the, the microhistory. Yes, yes. Where, of course, a historian will focus on the history of a some small collective of people, sometimes sometimes a sometimes a, spe- a specific town or a specific institution, and and while there's always a disclaimer that this is not directly generalizable, mm-hmm. it's also implied to be a sort of keyholes through which you can peek at the broader issue. Yes. We might not be seeing, and we will always, you know, as historians, we will say this is this is not a broad picture of the era. It's a story of this, of this monastery, of this village, uh, of this mm-hmm. ship's crew. But we do let you peek a bit about uh, on the daily life of monks or what have you. Is this a similar approach in, in that it's not generalizable, but it does provide clues? It does. I, I think so. And I appreciate that analogy to micro histories. Um, I'm not a military historian or a political scientist, but I do spend time reading military histories. And I've really particularly enjoyed the work of Rick Atkinson, who had a trilogy on, on World War II. And what he does so beautifully is we get the thoughts of Dwight Eisenhower, for example, but he really drills down and we get to know um, privates people on the front lines, people doing doing the work um, in, in, in Sicily, doing the work of um, recapturing Rome. So we get to know the, the diary entries and the emotions and the thoughts that these soldiers are having during these tremendous battles. And so, yes, it's something very similar. Um, we cannot make broad claims about how all cadets develop as writers and how all cadets understand the Army writing standard. But by spending time and talking in-depth with one cadet, we can start broadening our research questions and having more nuanced questions and potential avenues for discussion about how cadets develop as writers. Writing is so fundamental to the work of an Army officer. And by spending time with just one cadet and learning more about how he develops as a writer, we might have more clues to how to support the writing development of all future Army officers. 
and from this, you know, you did, you, you know, so you have a somewhat unique perspective. I don't know of any other book which addresses the subject, or at, at least uh, not one which is not directed at specialists. And so, in in terms of your, in terms of what you learned when you were preparing your book, when you were preparing your case study. Can you tell us about the differences between what the U.S. Army teaches its uh, cadets and uh, other uh, other trainees, uh, what it teaches them to write, and of course, uh, writing uh, as it is taught to civilians and in other institutions? Uh, maybe do you think that we as civilians is there something we we can learn from the from the U.S. Army process? Certainly. Um, what struck me at the time I was collecting my data and still still sticks with me several years later is the balance that the U.S. Army strikes between creativity and structure, especially when it comes to writing. They strike this balance between creativity and structure throughout most of their training, but I was particularly fascinated by what this balance looks like for writing development. So the Army has a defined Army writing standard they have Army Regulation 2550. You can; These are freely available online. And to quote from AR 2050, effective Army writing is understood by the reader in a single rapid reading and is clear, concise, and well-organized. Great. I think we can all agree that, that yes, that's, that's a great definition of good writing. We, we look for that when we're reading prose. Um, they take this standard... And then they teach cadets how to write genres like an operation order within um, this standard. So you might, in these standards, or excuse me, these genres like an operation order, they have templates. It's almost like fill in the blanks. You have easy access to all kinds of templates that govern the structure of the most common genres that future army officers will write. So I see a clear definition of writing. I see all these genres. I see all these templates. And I think they're training people to undertake like a robotic type of writing, but they're not. At the same time as they have all these templates, at the same time as they have all these definitions, they're teaching cadets how to think creatively and how to adapt to change in the moment. They're able to strike this balance between here's how to write almost a formulaic operation order within a very clear standard of writing, but also teaching you how to adapt, how to be creative how to potentially prepare for the unpredictable. There's this wonderful Eisenhower quote. I'm not going to get it exactly right, but he talks about how plans are not helpful, but the activity of planning itself is so critical. And that's what I, that's what I land on. I think about how that might connect with the civilian world, how I, as somebody who teaches civilians and cadets, how I could help writers see the balance between um, a clear standard, a clear structure, but also adapting, if possible, and when necessary, adapting within that structure. So just to zoom out and be really direct, I love the focus they have on creativity with structure and how those work paradoxically with each other. To, to reverse a little bit, to reverse a little bit, we've talked about what uh, civilians can learn from the U.S. Army. Do you think that there is something, in, in terms of your professional view, 
Do you think that there is there are ways in which the army training process or the army writing process could be improved based on what we as civilians who are in the humanities know about writing? Yeah, when you had sent me these questions in advance, this one this is the one I thought about the most because I didn't think about this directly for the book and spend time, but it, it makes a lot of sense. That that kind of is the next step. Uh, looking at the other way, what 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 could they learn from you know, the, the civilian world? It's common in writing classes for writers to share their writing with each other. Maybe military historians, I'm sure, do the same thing. We see that in the acknowledgement sections of books. You know, people are reading chapters and offering feedback. We share writing with each other because we know that'll make for stronger writing. I see so much teamwork. I see so much collaboration in the Army. It's, it is a collaborative enterprise. But what I don't see much during my time doing this research was cadets sharing prose with each other. They would get into groups and they would devise um, you know, a strategy. They would plan for operations in the field. But I did not see a lot of exchanging paragraphs of writing and helping each other develop stronger paragraphs. That is so critical to how writers develop. If you are a creative writer, if you're a military historian, if you're a political scientist, you should be sharing writing to help each other become stronger writers. So I wonder how that might look in the military science classes I observed. I saw so much teamwork, but I saw very little sharing of writing in hopes of helping each other sharpen their prose and strengthen their writing. That's a great question. I'm still thinking through that one. Can I just drill down a little bit? I would like to drill down a little bit on what you said. You say say that there is little sharing of prose in these military writing classes. Is this just because of the format of the class, or is this something which cadets prefer not to do? I think it's more the format of the class. Um, it, It doesn't seem to be a part of Army doctrine. Because these are, these are highly structured classes that do a wonderful job preparing students to be future, future Army officers. One class that I observed was actually group exercise, where the pr- professor, who's, who's a commissioned Army officer, put an objective up on the screen, a hypothetical battle plan, and had the cadets break into groups and devise how they would write an operation order for this hypothetical battle plan. And so they all got in their groups, they brainstormed ideas, they pitched their ideas to their teacher, and he offered them questions and feedback. So I see a lot of that teamwork there. Certainly there's so much teamwork in the military, um, but in terms of the sharing the pros, that doesn't seem to be something that's a part of how they teach. It doesn't seem to be a part of their curriculum. Well, from this I would like to ask you, now you must strike me as a sorely civilian person, Mm-hmm. Yes. You don't seem to have any kind of military background. And I'd like to ask, when you had to work with cadets, when you had to research for your book and sometimes meet with army officers, did you experience a culture shock? Did you, did it, did you find this new world strange? I, I did. And you're, you're right. I am a full, I'm a civilian. I've, I've never um, been in any of the U.S. armed forces. Uh, I attended only civilian schools. Um, funny enough, my, my father was actually a cadet at the same university where I teach um, back in the 1970s. But I do find um, I gravitate towards learning more about subjects that I'm not a part of, right? My broad interest is how people develop as writers, 
So I spent time working with athletes. I'm not an athlete, but I was fascinated by how they learn to write. I'm fascinated by how cadets learn to write. I, I never was a cadet. But in terms of culture shock, I can just tell a couple of stories. I had a chance to go to um, West Point, one of our federal um, military academies in the United States, and um, I got yelled at for accidentally wearing my hat in the barracks as I was walking around. Right um, When I was doing the study at University of North Georgia, uh, there are areas of our campus that people do not walk across out of respect. And I was lost in my thoughts and actually walked on the grass and a cadet corrected me for walking on the grass. And so it is a world I'm not very familiar with. Um, I have, I have long hair. I have a beard. I've, I've cut my hair and I've shaved my beard multiple times when I've had the chance to interview colonels. Um, and I had a chance to interview a general, general Stephen Townsend, who used to be over U S training and doctrine command in Virginia. And so I'll, I'll shave my beard. I'll cut my hair as I seek to enter, get entrance into this community. And I'm just fascinated by how they operate. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a full civilian. I'm not trying to pretend otherwise, but I'm somebody who's passionate about writing. And I'm somebody who wants to learn more about how writing operates within this very unique community. As I mentioned, when we started, we are creatures of tradition on this show. You know, maybe it is because it's a show about books. Maybe, I don't know, I haven't been on any other show. Maybe all shows have their traditions. And so, as we have started with a traditional question, we're also going to conclude with a traditional question of a sort. Can you tell us about the, about the books which you are reading right now, about your own steps in the book journey maybe there's something which you would like to recommend to our audience maybe there's something you would like to tell us about i'd love to i spend a lot of time reading i think a lot of writers do but i also try to read really really broadly across all kinds of subjects um, and so two books i just finished uh, that i just wanted to mention briefly here i just finished norman stone's book world war one a short history as the title suggests, it is a short history of World War One. Stone has a really lovely, light prose style that I enjoyed reading. He focuses a lot of time on Turkey's involvement before and after the war, which I don't often come across when I'm reading histories of World War One. So that's one I'd recommend. I just came back from London where I led a study abroad program. I took some university students to London for three weeks to take classes um, and a book that we read together was a book called by Olivia Lang called To the River, A Journey Beneath the Surface. This is a wonderful book about travel writing. Lang spends time walking along, tracing, walking along the whole bank of a river, miles and miles that flows through South England. And she's reflecting on how this river is a part of the community and has been a part of English literature. It's a really, really enjoyable read. And lastly, just for fun, I'm reading... Anthony Trollope's novel, The Way We Live Now. Um, Trollope was writing about the same time as Charles Dickens. And since I returned from London, I wanted to read some more of, um, I guess, English literature. So this is a 19th century novel. Um, it's not a great one. There's a reason we don't hear much about Trollope, but we hear so much about Charles Dickens. But I do enjoy spending time with his prose and the images he paints of 19th century London. So those are three that I've spent time with recently that stand out to me. Well, we don't always read just necessarily the 19th century authors, which are classics. We don't even always read just the modern authors, which are classics. 
I'm I'm grateful to you for being with us today for our show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And when you write, and I say when, I always say when you write your next book, I will of course be happy to uh, see to have you with us again. Oh, thank you so much. Very kind of you. <laughs>